Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. What is the Sabbath and should we observe it? What is legalism and why should we avoid it? Answers to these questions and more in today's Home Bible Study podcast. Before we dive in, let's ask the Lord to help us understand and apply His Word with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that only three things will last for eternity, and one of those is your Word, the others being you and the souls of men. So, Lord, would you help us to live with these priorities in mind, to live with an eternal perspective? Thank you, Lord, that your word is, according to Hebrews 4.12, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so, Lord, by, by your grace and by your spirit, would you please open our eyes and soften our hearts to receive what you have for us in your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And we're continuing uh, this series in the Gospel of Mark, this Bible study in the Gospel of Mark, that I'm simply calling The Obedient Servant. And as you turn there, allow me to give you a little bit of context of what we're studying and, and where we've come from and where we are now. Last week, we learned that In chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 6, it's it's an entire unit in which Jesus creates four controversies. Now, because it's such a large section of Scripture, I decided to record part 1 last week and then part 2 this week. In part 1 of this lesson, we saw Jesus heal a paralyzed man and claim the authority to forgive sins. Then we saw him champion evangelistic relationships by dining with tax collectors and sinners. Both of these actions riled up the Jewish leaders of that day because they contradicted long-established and cultural and religious norms. The third and fourth controversies in this section are going to raise the hatred of Jesus so high that in chapter 3, verse 6, at the end of this unit, we're going to see the Pharisees beginning to plot to kill Jesus. And so with that, please follow along with me as I read uh, the first paragraph in today's unit, and that is uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. All right, here's the first point on your, on your outline, and I hope you've printed one off of our website. There's a PDF worksheet that you can download and print. And the first point on your outline is this. 
Jesus challenged established religious traditions. Jesus challenged established religious traditions. When it says in verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, John refers to John the Baptist, whom we learned about back in chapter 1. Now, and when it says, when the question is asked by some of the crowds that are uh, with Jesus, some of the Pharisees are with Jesus, excuse me, um, when they ask, why do John's disciples fast and the, we as Pharisees fast, but you don't? The question was probably raised on the same day or possibly the same time that Jesus and his disciples were having dinner at Levi's house, which you can see back in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And so, what is fasting? I realize some of you may not be familiar with that, or maybe you've just heard the term but have never studied it before. Simply defined, fasting in the scriptures is the intentional abstaining from food in order to get closer to God. Typically, those who did it would replace the time they would spend eating throughout the day or week with extra time in Bible study, prayer, and worship. Fasting appears approximately 59 times in the Bible as a spiritual discipline that God honors when it's done with the right heart. Now, throughout the scriptures, uh, fasting was done for various reasons, such as mourning someone's passing, demonstrating repentance for sin, um, heightening the believer's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and increasing the effectiveness of one's prayer life. The Old Testament law required all Jews to fast at least once a year on the Day of Atonement as a sign of repentance. Now, just to be clear, Jesus was not, he was not against fasting. In fact, we're told in Matthew chapter 4 that when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, he fasted. Now, however, here's one example of how the Pharisees would take what God asked them to do and turned it into legalism. They created their own additional rule to the scriptures that required Jews to also fast Monday and Thursday of every week as an act of deeper devotion to God. And if a Jew only fasted once a year, as God required on the Day of Atonement, instead of twice a week, as they required, such a person was looked down upon as less spiritual. So the argument being made here by Jesus' critics is, is, is this, simply, if I can boil it down. If John the Baptist was sent in order to prepare the way for your arrival, Jesus, and he and his disciples fasted, how come you and your disciples are sitting here stuffing your faces at Levi's house? Now, Jesus responds by making two veiled statements. And so here's points A and B on your outline. And by the way, I, Jesus didn't literally say points A and B. These are just my simplification of what he said into two simple statements. And so here's, here's letter A. I have come to bring joy, not sorrow. In order to make this point, Jesus uses 
a Jewish wedding ceremony as an illustration. A typical Jewish wedding lasted seven days for a virgin bride or three days for a remarried widow. After the ceremony, friends and family would spend the next few days feasting, drinking, singing, and dancing to celebrate the couple's nuptials. Even rabbis were expected to suspend their teaching and the requirement to fast on weeks when there was a wedding taking place. And rabbis were expected to take part in the celebration as well. Thus, when Jesus asked the rhetorical question, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The obvious answer to the question, or the question, the answer, excuse me, that he was wanting them to realize is no, because this is the time to celebrate. It's a time to celebrate that I have come and that I am here. Now, interestingly, in verse 20, Jesus compares himself to the bridegroom. He forecasts his eventual death and essentially says, a time for sorrow and fasting will be coming soon. Now, let's pause the video here for just a, a moment, and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question. Why did Jesus want his followers celebrating his arrival and physical presence? Talk about that for a moment, and I'll be right back. One reason that comes to mind is that his arrival had been so long in coming. I mean, the coming of the promised Messiah had been talked about for centuries by God's prophets. Another reason I think Jesus wanted his followers to celebrate his arrival is the fact that it would be short-lived. That he, he didn't come down to earth to stay on earth forever, but rather to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, to resurrect himself, and then return to his Father in heaven. Well, next what we see happening in the text is that Jesus, as he commonly did, uses two more everyday illustrations that everyone listening would understand in order to make another point. Uh, follow along with me, if you would, as I read the next couple of verses, Mark chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. It says, uh, Jesus continues this discussion uh, with the Pharisees and those that are watching. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch wears, tears away from it. And the new from the old and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does... The wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Here's a, a letter B on your outline. Here's the next point that Jesus is saying. And again, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing this to boil it down into one simple point for you. And that is that I have come to introduce something new, not patch up something old. That's what Jesus was trying to get across here in verses 21 and 22. I have come to introduce something new, not patch up something old. Uh, 
In verse 21, the illustration that he uses has to do with sewing. And his listeners knew that you could not effectively repair a hole on an old garment with a patch of new fabric. Uh, after you wash it, the new fabric pulls away from the old and the hole becomes worse. Next, in verse 22, he uses another illustration that, again, his listeners would have been very familiar with. It's from everyday life. And that is, it has to do with wine, how wine's created and how wine was stored. In Jesus' days, uh, wine was stored in animal skins or leather bags. As the wine fermented and expanded over time, the new skin would stretch. However, putting new wine that had not fermented yet into a skin that had already been stretched would result in the skin bursting. This is because used wineskins would lose their elasticity and become brittle. So what was Jesus' point? Well, his point was that his message of salvation by grace through repentance and faith in him was not compatible with the Pharisees' religious system. He came to replace what they were doing, not to mix it up and to create some uh, hybrid new religion, a mixture of the old and the new. That's not what Jesus came to do. Next, here's number two in your outline. Jesus corrected legalistic teaching on the Sabbath. Jesus corrected legalistic teaching on the Sabbath. And this comes from uh, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 23, on through chapter 3, verse 6. Now, the Sabbath was a day of rest the Lord instituted in the Ten Commandments, or what theologians call the Mosaic Law. The Lord wanted the people of Israel to work for six days, just like he did when he was creating the universe, and then rest on the seventh day. In addition to resting, uh, the other purpose for the Sabbath, which is what would be considered Saturday in our culture, the other purpose was for the Israelites to remember how the Lord had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. The Jews were strictly prohibited from working on the Sabbath, and anyone who did was to be put to death. And we see this in Exodus chapter 31 and Numbers chapter 15. Later in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the Lord provides some additional boundaries for the Sabbath in order to prevent the Jews from violating or abusing it. For these reasons, the Jews took the Sabbath very seriously, and the Pharisees even more so with the additional rules that they added to it. Now that you have this important background information, let's see how Jesus handled these two controversial issues on the Sabbath. If you would follow along with me as I'm going to read Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. So it says, One Sabbath... He was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? 
how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Well, here's a, a letter A on your outline. This would be, I guess, 2A. And that is the Sabbath. What Jesus was trying to say is that the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. It was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. In verse uh, 23, the reason Jesus and his disciples were plucking grain and eating it was because they were hungry. Now, I know at first look, or your first impression of this, as it was mine, when you first read this, um, and, and, and the Pharisees say in verse 24, look, why are they doing it? It's not lawful. We might think that you know, Jesus and his disciples were stealing from that landowner. Well, actually, they, they weren't. Uh, this is something they were allowed to do according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. That's where it says, Jews walking through their neighbor's field may eat as much grain or grapes as they want, but they may not fill their bag or use their sickle because that would be perceived by God as work. And I think it also would be perceived as stealing. Now, I want you to notice in verse 25, two things that Jesus did in response to the Pharisees on this issue. First, notice how he pointed them back to the scripture. This is something all Christ followers should do whenever there is a controversy or a disagreement. We should come back to the final authority in our lives, which is the word of God. Second, Notice the Lord asks a rhetorical question. Have you never read? The, this question shows up a few times in the Gospels in various forms as Jesus interacts with people. It's sort of, a, it's sort of his backhanded way of saying, you should know this. Thus, you never ever want Jesus asking you, have you never read or have you not read? That's not good. Now, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus references David uh, and his men eating bread that typically only priests were allowed to use. And this is coming from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And that's where David and his men ate some bread from the tabernacle that typically only the priests were allowed to use. And they did so because they were hungry. And the point is, is that the Lord was okay with this in 1 Samuel 21 because he did not want his people to go hungry just so they could follow ceremonial laws. Next, in verse 27, notice how Jesus says two principles. And that is, the first, the first one is implicit and the second one's explicit. And the first principle is this, the spirit of the law was intended by God to overrule the letter of the law when there was human need. The second principle is explicit. It's the one that Jesus states here in verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was intended to be a time of refreshing and remembrance, 
a blessing to God's people, not a burden, not a burden. Now, although Christians are not required to follow the Old Testament law because Christ fulfilled it for us, there still is wisdom and benefits behind many of the laws. Therefore, many of the laws still contain principles that are good for us to follow, especially when it comes to the Sabbath. Let's pause the video again. I'd like you to interact or think about this discussion question. Why would it still be wise for us to observe a Sabbath as 21st century Christians? Talk about that for a moment, and I'll be right back. Well, I think the short answer to this question is that observing a Sabbath or some type of Sabbath, the principle of a Sabbath, prevents all sorts of physical, mental, and spiritual problems for us. Because of how the Lord made us, our bodies and our minds and our souls wear out if we work all the time. We don't have unlimited endurance and strength like God does. Instead, we are frail and we're made from dust. Thus, the Sabbath is a gift from the Lord that allows us to rest and refresh and remember what He's done for us and to give Him the worship He deserves. Now, here's the second controversial issue Jesus handled on the Sabbath, and it comes from the last paragraph we're going to read today, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Please follow along with me in your Bibles. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. This caused the Pharisees to go out immediately, and they held counsel with the Herodians against him and how to destroy him. Wow. Here's a letter B on your outline. The Sabbath is not an excuse to avoid helping people. It's not an excuse to avoid helping people. Um, unfortunately, sinners take something that God created and turn it and twist it, manipulate it into something they can selfishly use for, them, for themselves. Sorry, that's kind of redundant. Uh, the events in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 may have taken place on the same day as the previous group of verses or maybe on the following, the following week. So this may be a week later on Saturday or it may be the same Saturday that this is happening from the previous section. By this time, Jesus' critics were watching him closely so that they might bring charges against him. We see that in verse 2 of chapter 3. According to the Pharisaic traditions, healings could only be done on the Sabbath if someone's life was in danger. If it wasn't, then their healing was supposed to be 
postponed or delayed to the next day. And why? Because they considered it work. When we see in verse 5 that the misuse of the Sabbath by the Pharisees, well, excuse me, let me say that again. We then see in verse 5 that this misuse of the Sabbath by the Pharisees angered the Lord. It made Jesus angry. Now, remember that back in verse 27, chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what was the root issue here? Well, the primary reason Jesus was angry is because the Pharisees had created a system of legalism that placed requirements on people they couldn't fulfill. Now, legalism is it's simply trying to earn salvation or favor with God through good works and man-made rules. This type of Judaism was antithetical, totally against the gospel. Judaism emphasized pride and self-righteousness and good works and external performance. It was, it was still, unfortunately, it, it didn't start out that way, but by the time Jesus showed up, Judaism had morphed into, again, man trying to get to God. And that was not at all what God intended it to be. On the other hand, the gospel Jesus was preaching emphasized humility and repentance of sin and faith and grace and internal heart change. Now, I think there's some, some encouragement that we can glean from these verses that we're looking at today, especially in this year with the pandemic and all that's happened in our lives that's changed because of it. First of all, I think we can be thankful that our salvation does not depend on our own righteousness or external good works. I mean, praise the Lord that salvation only comes by grace alone through repentance and faith in Christ alone. What a relief. So the burden is removed from us. Another thing I think we can learn and be encouraged by is that in a year in which this pandemic has prevented us from doing many of the things that are commanded in the scriptures, such as gathering for corporate worship and serving others and uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper together, we can thank the Lord that our salvation through Christ is still secure. The Lord's not up there in heaven going, ah, you guys haven't gathered for a while or you haven't done the Lord's Supper in a while. I'm going to remove your names from the book of life. So we can praise the Lord for that. This brings me to a couple of applications as we get close to closing here. Two applications that come to mind. First of all, I think we need to, we need to think biblically about grace and good works. The relationship between God's grace and good works has been debated for centuries. And as you've heard me say before, all sinners are prone to take what God intended for good and to push it to an extreme. Thankfully, His Word provides the theological balance that we need. The extremes in this case are legalism and antinomianism. I know that's a big word, but I'll define it in a second. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul dismantles legalism, the legalism argument, by reminding us that salvation is by grace through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. 
It is a gift from God so that no one can boast in heaven about how they earn their salvation. Now, the other ditch, or the ditch on the other side of the road, is antinomianism. Antinomians believe God's grace is so wide that he requires nothing of a convert after their profession of faith. You've sometimes heard me call this easy believism. Antinomianism is a false Christianity that believes someone can profess faith in Christ, but is then under no obligation to learn or apply God's word. The word antinomian actually means, literally means against the law or against any restrictions or limitations. Basically, antinomians believe all that someone has to do is walk down the aisle at a, at a church, make a profession of faith, and then wait for heaven to come. But James deconstructs this heresy in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, where he says, good works don't save us. However, good works prove we are saved. The New, the New Testament is clear that anyone who professes to know Christ is supposed to follow and obey Christ. It, that Their conversion creates a desire to know the Lord and to follow Him. Our next application is this. I think we need to think biblically and wisely about the Sabbath. Now, although uh, the Sabbath is not required by God for Christians to observe because Jesus fulfilled the law, I do think we as 21st century Americans need to learn from the Sabbath. Uh, we are so prone to fill up our schedules and get so busy and we're so addicted to work and high performance that we can easily wear ourselves out. So, I think there's wisdom in setting aside a day at the end of the week, like Sunday, for rest and worship and reflecting on what God has done for us. If you don't do that, you are at high risk of burning yourself out physically, but also at great risk of harming your walk with the Lord. And so if you find yourself right now in a season of life where you're saying, you know, I'm too busy to have a Sabbath day where I can rest and not have to work, well then you probably need to cut some things out of your life. I really want to encourage you to look at your schedule and prayerfully discern, am I doing too much? And do I need to cut some things out to create some margin in my, in my calendar so that at the end of each week or at the beginning of each week, depending on how you want to look at it, you can worship the Lord, you can reflect on what He's done for you, and you can rest and recover now, be careful, though, that you're not selfish about the Sabbath. Be careful that you don't use your Sabbath to, say, travel a bunch and not worship with God's people or sit under the preaching of the Word. And be careful that you don't fill your Sabbath up with other things that aren't bad, but they're not good for you either. They're not restful. They're just, it's more busy stuff like sports or, I mean, kids sports, for example, or 
um, other extracurricular things that are not inherently evil, but they do fill up your calendar and they do require you to rush and rush and rush and rush to keep up with those things that you've allowed onto your calendar. I find more times than not, there are Christians doing things in their life that are stressing them out that God never required them to do. And then when it comes time to look at their schedule, they tend to blame the things of the Lord or the things related to church or their devotional life instead of the, the other things that they have booked themselves up doing. And so just be careful there. Make sure you are making time for the Lord and making time to refresh your heart and your body each week. Well, if you're wanting to learn more about the relationship between God's grace and the spiritual disciplines, there are two excellent books that I'd like to re recommend that you read. Uh, the first is Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges, a great book, and you've heard me mention him before. He's a fantastic author, easy to read, and one of the things I love about Jerry Bridges is he's able to take complex doctrines and break them down and make them really easy to understand. So uh, Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges. The other one is The Discipline of Grace, also by Jerry Bridges. Another great book. It explains the relationship between the spiritual disciplines and God's grace. Well, as you've heard me say before, I want to really encourage you to make the most of the pandemic this year by using your extra free time to grow your walk with the Lord. And one way you can do this is by reading some good books on areas in which you need to grow. Well, let's close with our weekly verse of encouragement. I love this one. I've prayed over it and meditated on it many times myself on dark days when I was discouraged. It comes from Isaiah 54, verse 10. This is where the Lord says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. What the Lord means here is that our entire lives, even the world, could fall apart but it still would not change His love for us. Now, that's an encouraging promise that we can carry into this next week. All right, church, thanks for tuning in. I miss you. I love you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.